Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 20. Uh, this is Ali Matu. I'm joined by my awesome co-host. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? Going well. Going well. Let's get into it. We're talking X-Men. Days of Future Past. Who do we have in our crossover today, Conrad? Uh, today in the crossover, we have X-Men versus Avengers. Which one is the better franchise or portrays the better franchise? Is that about right? That's about right. And then, oh my goodness, what an awesome episode. We are counting down our top five fixing the future films. Conrad, this episode is going to be awesome. <laughs> we may have to rein ourselves in a little bit. Uh, however, I would like to say just flat out... If you have not seen X-Men Days of Future Past, do not listen to this episode. Go and watch the episode. Go and watch the movie. Yeah, you shouldn't be listening to this episode if you haven't seen the film because you need to see that film right now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so huge, big spoiler alert in big red letters. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Red um, alert, red alert, spoilers ahead. Yes. So, um, so go watch the film. And then we also want to hear all about it from you as well. So, um, Conrad, this is a part of the show where we usually talk about, oh, so how did you get interested in this franchise? What is your experience? What is your exposure? La di da. And then we get into our, our review. Um, but we've talked about that a lot. We, mm -hmm. we both love X-Men. We both have been looking forward to Days of Future Past. It has been on both of our top, uh, three most anticipated movies of the summer. We've also talked about the controversy regarding Brian Singer. So we can uh, please refer to previous episodes episodes about that. Let's get into this. So much to talk about. I've been waiting all week to find out what did you think of Days of Future Past? So my initial just just hands down review is that I liked it a lot. Um, from my perspective, I think it's the strongest of the X-Men films that I've seen. Mm, that is a bold statement. Um, that is a bold statement that I agree with. What? Mind <laughs> I, um, I, uh, right off the top, um, I, uh, from the moment the opening credits started to roll and, uh, you had, well, before that you had the opening monologue, uh, the dystopian future and then roll credits in that same style of X1 and X2. And then John Ottman's, um, part of his original score comes up and John Ottman is back scoring this film when his original, when his score came back, dun, da, 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 da. I had a giant smile on my face and that smile did not disappear until um, the end of the credits. Um, I had a blast, blast watching this film. Oh, it was it was a very uh, the film was excellent. It really was. I I was very good about staying away from spoilers and and definitely i didn't get to go see it opening night and i didn't get to see a special preview so i was i was kind of like walking around people who were mentioning it with like my hands over my ears yeah <laughs> so i couldn't <laughs> and deliberately staying anything that that was listed about it i just didn't want to read so i was i was putting myself in isolation um 
And I knew you were going to see it before me, so I avoided anything to do with you as well. So, <laughs> Which um, we often do when we're going to record. We kind of go into our, our nerds of silence, uh, solitude yeah, states absolutely. where we stop interacting with each other until this episode uh, is recorded. Well, it's more because we have absolutely no willpower and we'll, we'll totally be like little kids. Oh, and yeah. Like, we have to talk about it. So Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah totally. You know. Um, but in any case, I which agree is really with, tough. It's it really is. tough, Conrad, because I end up talking to everyone else around me, and it's like I'm I'm waiting to talk to you about this. So, so what what was it that you liked? Well, I agree with you. I think that the score, just the initial, just when it opened up, um, just it started to hit pretty hard. I mean, there's always this thing about X Men movies that you you can't wait to see which mutants they decide to portray on screen mm-hmm. and from the get-go it's like they have blink uh bishop um you know uh kitty pride um one bone of contention there but we can get back to that we'll, we'll um, probably get to that yeah we will get to that um just just they they just hit you pretty hard um and I mean, this this particular storyline featured um, and this, uh, you know, I don't know if you recall this, but this was this was like a huge storyline in the comics, um, although they well, did a huge storyline, but two issues right. when it comes down to it. Go like, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I think Days of Future Past, it's um, it, I think it uh, was from 1983, um, ended up really being the core story is really just two issues. And there's there's episodes or not episodes, but issues leading up to it, which is the development of the Kitty Pride story. But we're really talking about a comic that if it if it came out now, this would be a year Marvel event and there would be crossovers and tie ins and epilogues and all of this kind of stuff. Um, uh, well, I was saying more, I was saying this more because it's in the comics, but then they also used it in the uh, animated series. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so that's... It, bit- and it was like this sort of continuing thing. So so it, it was something that I think, if you're familiar with, with X-Men, you knew this storyline. Well, I would argue that this is probably the, the most influential storyline right. for the X-Men comics. It's probably the most well-known storyline for people who um, follow the comics or absolutely as you said um x-men the animated series from uh, fox kids this was next to the phoenix saga this was the most memorable storyline right so i was curious to see what they would do with it it was also you know definitely and we'll get into this a little bit more in the crossover chamber but you know we've had three x-men films prior to this new soft reboot um and the soft reboot is x-men first class followed by this film well, and and then the two Wolverine spinoffs as well. Well, right. I I mean specifically the X Men ensemble cast. Yep. Um, yep. Um, but you know, it's it's so there's a lot of material to work with and a lot of continuity um, issues that you could run into um, because they did try to keep some of the original ideas that that they started with and and they threw out some other ideas. Um, so that was, I was curious to see how they handled it. And, you know, I think ultimately they handled it as best they could, um, without, without, you know, um, totally rebooting everything, you know? Well, so this is where, (laughs) uh, okay. I'm 
very, very happy with where this film ends up. And, and you know, we, we've made our spoiler alert. It, it basically relaunches and makes a clean slate here. But it's very much, it feels like it's Brian Singer picking and choosing what continuity he wants to uphold. And the continuity he's choosing is uh, the films that he produced. So, Oh, oh I, was going, I was about to say, uh, it's basically Brian Singer saying... You know what? I'm going to tell people exactly what uh, I thought about X-Men last stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Which it's is a- like, he's like, I just... Mm, no, that never happened. <laughs> we're, we're just we're. It's a little bit of a Jedi mind trick that he's doing. Is you know that is not the film you're looking for here. It, it X three essentially doesn't exist. So spoiler alert for uh, for X three if you haven't seen it and if you haven't seen it, don't see it because it's not a good X Men film. Um, but the main continuity um, issue that comes up here is Professor X is killed in X three and he's killed in a pretty poor way i would say um sure x3 ends with this post-credit scene where there's a a man in a coma um and there's a a idea that perhaps professor x's uh, consciousness has somehow been um, transported to this person and if you listen to the director's commentary for um, x3 brett ratner talks about how there's this idea that Professor X had an identical twin and he sort of sucked up his his mind's power in the womb and this identical twin was born being brain dead but has been kept alive and is looks just like Professor X and Professor X transferred his consciousness in there. None of that is canon. It's no. also ridiculous um, because, you know, it's great to have an identical twin around that you just transfer your consciousness to. But anyways... This film, Days of Future Past, doesn't even try to explain how Professor X is back. But then continuity error, or continuity issue two and three also come from the Wolverine, where oh, yeah. uh, Wolverine basically becomes Boneclaw Wolverine. It's not explained how in um, Days of Future Past how he has his adamantium claws back. But the other thing is at the end of the Wolverine, Wolverine uh, sees Magneto and Professor X and they're saying, we need your help. We basically have to save the future, but none of that is touched. So this film is sort of like, whatever, we're just kind of continuing from X2. Well, and also not to mention that Wolverine within the Wolverine movie runs into Stryker. And it's a very different Stryker than we're seeing portrayed in Days of Future Past. Um, And then there's also the the Boulevard Trask casting issue here which is that in (laughs) in x3 there's like a very brief kind of cameo appearance and it is most definitely not peter dinklage no no i it's Um, not him so so you know but i also understand if you're going to do a soft reboot like this there are things you have to do which is why i said they did it in the best way possible um, basically I just, it, you're not going to be able to get around stuff. I mean, and then there's the other piece, which is not necessarily a continent. Well, it kind of is. Um, and it, it continued to bother me a little bit, but I just had to let it go basically. Um, but the whole love triangle in these two films in, in X-Men first class and in days of future past, the, the implied love triangle between, uh, professor X Magneto and Mystique and you know yes we know that Magneto and Mystique have stuff going on they often have stuff going on but 
There was never, <laughs> there was never this, um, there was never this like professor and, and because they don't do that in like the initial introduction of these characters with the Rebecca remain playing, um, mystique, you don't get that tension between her and, and, um, professor Xavier. So, yeah, I, it's, it's weird. I, I mean, I, to me, it does feel like Charles Xavier loves, um, Mystique, uh, or Raven or whatever we want to call her. Um, I, I keep getting the impression that he loves her as a sister. Um, I, I oh, also- I'm not, I'm not implying necessarily romantic love triangle i'm talking so we're on the same page yeah i'm just saying that that connection because they don't even go there because i guess they didn't have it in their minds when they when they did the original films or brian singer didn't at that point um and you know they did it i think to make it a lot more interesting to have more tension between those characters to make some of their their differences that much more stark within the film sure. so i understand yep. why they did it but it did it did bother me just a bit uh, well and so I, I had mixed feelings about that because one of the things that i do really like about this film is how it's it's a bit of a kirk bones mccoy uh dynamic between magneto mystique and charles xavier not necessarily about logic emotion and kind of the integration of the two but in terms of these three characters existing on a continuum where you have professor x who does want coexistence with humans and mutants and then you have magneto who wants mutant supremacy and you have mystique who's sort of in the middle and we know where this character goes in the original movies um and we know she aligns with uh magneto it's interesting to see here the the journey that she goes on and the the arc that she's on and I, i thought jennifer lawrence had so much more to do with this character in this film right. and I really liked that journey here. I, I liked I, that um, and I liked uh, that treatment. I, I thought that the um, I do think that that particular storyline added a lot to the interactions between the characters. Um, she had some really fantastic interactions with both um, Charles Xavier and Magneto um, and you could feel it. It didn't feel because sometimes I felt like first class. Sometimes those interactions felt a little shallow to me. And they did, I didn't, they did. and I didn't yeah. feel, I feel, I felt like it, they did. They had a lot more chemistry in this one. Um, I also thought that overall the cast felt much more comfortable and, and, and um, relaxed together. They didn't, it didn't feel as forced as some of the scenes in first class yeah. did. Um, so, so overall, I just thought it was a very, a very, an excellent film using a lot of those characters and those storylines well um well and and one of the things we're talking about problems with canon and i think the you know to be honest with you i think one of the reasons why the problems with canon don't really bother me is because number one um the x-men continuity in comics has always confused me <laughs> there's yeah, so well, they are, there are so many there really are i mean oh, it's, it, there's so many things that that happen that yeah i get it and i i do agree with you somewhat um but but I will. So I did like it overall. I thought this was a very successful film. It made me very happy to watch. I was smiling while watching it. And there are some key pieces that I really loved, which I will talk about momentarily. 
Well, there's, can I say one more thing that I loved here? Yep. Is so I mean the canon. It doesn't bother me because the comics are so so out there in terms of continuity. But the other thing that doesn't bother me is I don't necessarily care for the canon that it is violating, and so uh, there's that. But th- then the other side of um, Days of Future Past is it really referenced all the films in some way or another. Um, there's very clear references to X1, X2, but then there's things to X3. We have, um, uh, um, the original actor who played Beast, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, Kelsey Grammer? Kelsey Grammer. He makes an appearance as as Beast, right? So we've got a tie-in to X3. We've got a tie-in to the Wolverine storylines um, a little bit. Um, we've got uh, references, direct references, and building upon the plot of First Class. There are all these references all over. So in some ways, it is nodding its hat or tipping its hat to the other films while at the same time violating the canon, which I I think makes it so true to the comic books. Well, it it does. Um, The the only piece that just, um, and again, it's an excellent film. I think everybody should go see it. It was a fun film. It it was a satisfying film for me to go and watch. Um, But the one piece that I just kept being like, and I do understand why they did this, but it just it felt like they could have done a little bit more to have her more involved. But I feel like Kitty Pride should have been able to go back to. So let's talk about that. Um, that is the, the one piece that I'm like, oh, really? So in the original comic, um, it, very different storyline, which is really set up about the Kitty Pride story, this new character that's introduced. And she is um, she has ability, I think, to manipulate time and space, I guess, and is able to send her consciousness back in time from the dystopian future. And, you know, we should also point out there are a lot of um, this is loosely adapted, I would say, from the comic because the original comic doesn't have Magneto or Xavier in the future. They're already killed. It's very much a skeletal crew. And I think it has, uh, is it Mr. Fantastic in there? Um, It's got someone from Fantastic Four. Um, So it's it's, it's different. Um, But the key storyline is it's Kitty Pride's story about going oh, back, right. not, not and Wolverine. She, and she is a beloved character, too. Like, this is not just, you know, this was the storyline that kind of made her super awesome and cool. And, you know, it just it made me just think while we were talking about um, women being portrayed in these movies and in the in these the comic books and things like that. Well, this was a fantastic opportunity to to have a very strong female leaders, a female character in the main storyline. And they just chose to definitely put her on the sidelines. Yeah. So and give uh, her a new power. I've got, I've got, yeah, I'll give her a new power. Totally. Uh, I've got a, a mixed feelings here. Um, uh, I really agree with you. I, uh, with the, uh, diversity element, uh, because the past, Storyline, the storyline in the seventies. While it works on so many levels, it is an all boys club. Um, besides Mystique, and again, Mystique's story and arc is is really cool. I like that. Um, but the, it's pretty much Magneto, Xavier, Wolverine story um, with a little bit of Quicksilver, and that Quicksilver scene is awesome. I, um, I was going to highlight that as <laughs> probably I think one of my favorite scenes in the whole film. Absolutely. Absolutely. It made super speed cool, which is a pretty big achievement here. Um, 
but here's the thing is um, I don't think the X-Men films have really built up Kitty Pride um, in the same way that they have Wolverine and Wolverine has sort of been the common character throughout all the movies. So I understand why they chose him at the same time. I think you're right. They could have, they could have cast someone older to play uh, Kitty Pride in the future um, and then have someone have her go back into her younger self, send her consciousness back in time or something. There's ways they could have done this um, or maybe they didn't have to recast someone since I guess they do have Ellen Page kind of playing exactly herself in the future. So I, I agree with you. It would have been nice to see that happen. At the same time, I really like the changes that happened to Wolverine as a result of him going back in time because it's the first time we're seeing an X-Men film where Wolverine isn't saving the day. Wolverine isn't the main character. Wolverine isn't the only comic relief where Wolverine is sort of has a purpose, um, but at the same time is kind of put out of the way and allows this other story to unfold. Well, he does. And I mean, this is the thing. Wolverine, without question, is, I think, the most popular X-Men character. Um, he is the rock star out of them. He gets so much play. People love him. I um, like Gambit. Uh, of course you do. Uh, I also I'm like not... Psylocke. <sighs> <laughs> I, like, I also like pushing your buttons. You also don't never knew that there was a word for or a sound for the sound of Wolverine's claws. So so I don't I, know, even know what to say to you about that, I Ollie. I felt so ashamed when you I should feel ashamed this week. Yeah. Now, how do you pronounce that? Snicked. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I didn't know that. Um, um, write but, your complaints to info at Super Fantastic Meetup. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, but and I get it. I get why they did it. It just felt like such an opportunity because this is one of the most famous storylines. And she is she, Kitty Pride is an amazing character. When you just saw a little glimpse of her in some of the other film in like, you know, I, I got super excited but um, they didn't, to me, they didn't leverage that. But I, I also agree with you. I think it was nice to see Wolverine be more of the fish out of water than he yeah. usually, in a different way than he usually is the fish out of water. Um, and I thought that um, the whole 70s thing was a lot of fun. Um, they, they did that well. Um, I, I could have done, I wanted to exchange out the Nixon we had for the Nixon, the Nixon from Watchmen. Agreed. Um, I like that Nixon a lot better. That Nixon um, was just such a better Nixon. Oh, such um, a better Nixon. But there was nice little nod, historical nods. The JFK elements were, were fun. Um, turning off the tape recorders in Nixon's office was fun. Uh, Peter Dickledge was amazing. Um, you know, some people have, um, um, uh, some people have talked about how he didn't really have much of an arc. Um, uh, his character didn't really have any motivation for why he hated mutants. I think the, the I think scene, it's implied though. I think it's implied. I think, I think it's more than implied when he talks about Neanderthals and, um, how they went extinct after Homo sapiens came along and the parallel there with mutants and humans and this mm-hmm. belief that, um, they will destroy us. They are a common struggle. Um, this is the thing that's going to unite all of humanity. My psychology, like buttons were just like firing 
on overload. I thought the the idea that mutants and humans um, and this in-group out-group conflict and this is what is going to unite these people, that's, you know, there's some real science behind that, some some of these ideas of superordinate goals, goals that people can unite around. So I, I thought those ideas were all interesting. I liked that element. I really liked um, – most of that 70s storyline. I, I think Magneto... Uh, um, okay, I'll, this is where I'm going to get into my complaints. Complaint number one. Nitpick number one. Um, I think Magneto lifting up that giant football stadium and dumping it around the White House was kind of stupid. Um, it was fine. It was okay. Who, but, who doesn't want to do that, Ollie? Well, but but here's the thing with Magneto. is It's not just he controls metal objects. He controls magnetism. And... I th- I don't really think they've done that well in the movies. Um, I think Magneto would. I think he's a bit more of a cunning guy than just like lifting up the. It, you know what it was to me, Conrad. It was like lifting up the Golden Gate and dropping it on Alcatraz. <clears throat> mm. It wasn't that dumb, but it wasn't really. It wasn't too much better. I don't um, know, Ali. You just can't trust Magneto. <laughs> Haven't you learned your lesson by now? I've learned my lesson, and I also know I can't trust Michael Fassbender, Magneto. Boy. <laughs> he is just he is. bad news. <laughs> he is just on fire. He's got some guy. anger issues. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, he is so... I love Michael Fassbender's Magneto um, so much. Um, yeah, I can hear you. So, that... I, I hear what you mean. I understand why they did it, but, yeah, it was a little over the top. Um, number two is I don't like how... Th- Every X-Men movie feels like it has to depower Professor X in some way. And this whole idea that he is, uh, uh, okay, so they're going for this addiction storyline. He's taking this drug. It's modifying his DNA, restoring his ability to walk, but impairing his powers. That doesn't really work in the way in which I know biology, there's a bullet that's hit his spine that has in some way um, turned off his ability to communicate with his lower limbs, right? So this medicine is in some way restoring the ability in his spine, but now genetically turn, or turning off um, the DNA that controls his mutant powers. Like that is one crazy drug, um, and so there's the comic book nitpicking around that, right? But let's just put that on the side and say this is comic book logic. But it the- is, but I mean, because part of the, I mean, I think what they were trying, I know I hear your arguments there, but in the comic books, it doesn't make total sense either. And there's this whole thing that as his powers increase, he loses more and more use of his legs. So, and there's that one point where he regains use and then thus loses all of his mental abilities. Uh, his so that's been that's been done in the comics. Yes, that, but not. Oh, I didn't know that. Not quite. Um, not quite like. Um, um, not quite like how they described it here, but there's definitely like a little point where he. I mean, he he. There's a, there's always a point where he's losing like his mental abilities for some reason or another, um, but. But there is a connection between his powers and the use of his legs. Well, and and that's my problem. Okay, so like I can put aside the science. Like we're talking about a, a movie with time travel here. Um, but w- what was my larger concern here is um, similar to X two, which before this was my favorite X Men movie. Now Days of Future Past has surpassed it. Um, my problem there was they always have to depower Professor X, and I guess it's because he would be the one of the most powerful mutants. 
in the world and you could solve all their problems with his powers. It's a bit of the same type of issue that happened in the TV show Heroes, where you had Peter Petrelli, you had Hero, and in, as the seasons progressed, the writers felt the need to depower these characters in some way by throwing them way into the past or removing their abilities. And that's just too bad. I wish they could figure out a more interesting way around this. So that was my other issue. The third issue, um, which is not a big deal for me because this movie was firing on all cylinders for me. I love time travel. I love these different ideas. But um, does the movie explore new territory and new ground? I mean, this we have the humanity versus mutants and X-Men in the middle storyline yet again. Does this really chart a new course and tell a new interesting story? Oh, see, I thought that this was just more to set up, to reset the storyline, and then we get to see more in the next in the next film. So now you're you're talking about basically this is a parallel to 2009 Star Trek, mm-hmm. where that movie, um, while it's a fun, interesting movie in itself, it really primarily exists to set up a new timeline that uh, honors the past, like this movie does in some ways, and in some ways it ignores it, but also basically to hit the reset button at the end, which is exactly what this film does. It makes it very clear that um, many of the events we've seen in previous films have not happened. So you're basically you're, you're basically saying, this movie's cool, however... One of the main goals here was to set up X-Men Apocalypse, which has already been identified as the next film. Yep. That, that is my assessment. Yes. So, I mean, I however, won't... before we get into to I do want to to do like I want to talk to you a little bit about the very big and bright spot of Quicksilver within this. Oh, film. yeah. Let's let's talk Quicksilver. Um. So, yes, I agree. Like we don't we don't cover a ton of new ground, but. But one thing that I have noticed with a lot of um, these adaptations or or comic book based films is that a lot of them, to me, even though you'll have a few one liners here and there, have lost lost their sense of fun with it. Sure. Um, And I think one of the the really great things about the X-Men films is seeing how they're going to portray those mutant powers of these really these truly beloved characters or how the, the characters are going to fit into the big story. Um, so when they had Quicksilver show up, I think that the actor who portrayed him did an incredible job. Um, um, and there was a lot of there's a lot of criticism before the movie came out about the character, how he looked. Um, there was a lot of interesting um, thoughts about this character being in an X-Men, but then also being in that post cameo well, scene. That's one of those, uh, those, those fun little things that happen in comic books where you sometimes have a very odd crossover within yeah. the franchises. And in this case there, yes, Quicksilver, we saw a cameo at the end of uh, Captain America, Captain America uh, Winter Soldier. Um, and they are definitely portrayed by different actors yep yep i don't honestly think it matters i think it'll be interesting to see quicksilver in that other film but here you know especially with this character they had a few really fun easter eggs with him he was the i mean as you said wolverine wasn't carrying all the comic relief here he definitely this was to me a big point of fun 
in this film and fun with mutants, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they did, I mean, they did fun things for the fans. Like they had the, his name was on the mailbox. Um, so you knew who they were going to see. Um, yep. And, you know, there was a nice little exchange between Quicksilver and Magneto because, you know, Magneto's his dad. Yeah. Um, and so he makes this, this small comment that his mom knew somebody who could move metal like Magneto. Um, <laughs> but, but ultimately the, the, the nice pithy exchanges between him and Xavier and, and Wolverine were incredible. Well, um, and, and, and the and, scene and, and the big scene, which is the, you know, probably the best use of time in a bottle that I've ever seen. Um, it's just, it was just fun. Um, you're just excited to see what he's going to do. There's so much that that scene, I think represents in, uh, in one way it represents the, um, the growth of, uh, Brian Singer as a director and how far he's come from 2003, uh, 2003's X-Men 2. Um, we also see just, um, a return to fun, um, and a, a really beautifully done set piece that exists in a very small room and small space, but it, it's done in such interesting way. And I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it makes this superpower cool. Like how many times have you heard people say, oh, Flash, Flash is stupid. Like Mm -hmm. that's a horrible power. And this is the first time we're really seeing it done. And I also feel like this is um, a shot off the bow against Avengers. I know we're getting into this in the crossover, but it's a bit of a challenge. Brian Singer's throwing the gauntlet down to Joss Whedon going, all right, here's my Quicksilver. What have you got in Avengers 2? I'll see you your Quicksilver. Quicksilver and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the actor who plays Quicksilver in um, in X-Men is uh, Evan Peters. Evan Peters does a fantastic job here, really. Um, he's one of the only main new mutant characters here um, besides the characters we see in the past. Um, or I mean, I'm sorry, in the future. My timeline's getting all wibbly wobbly here. Um, um, and the other the other bit of fun that we see a lot, which I, I enjoyed is because you know, uh, Wolverine as a character, he's kind of surly. He is he is often a reluctant hero, kind of doing things like, oh, guess I have to do this, you know. Whatever, like, bub. Whatever. He's he's always gruff and he's always uh, rebellious. Cyclops. Um, but what was kind of, uh, to me, a lot of fun to watch in this film is he's remembering his relationships from the future with these characters. And there's actually a lot of tenderness and yeah. I think uh, emotion when he's talking to um, to Professor X as as young Professor X, um, there's fun moments between him and Magneto, um, which aren't necessarily loving, but they're they're really cool. Um, well, and we got to chalk it up to Hugh Jackman here, who is, um, you know, this is like the seventh film in <laughs> yeah. which he is playing the same character. Um, other actors could be so tired of playing Wolverine at this point, but he brings it. Not only oh, does he, he bring totally it in does. terms of, yeah, not only in terms of acting, but if you remember that scene where he wakes up in the past, he brings it physically. This guy is in ridiculously ripped Wolverine shape. Okay, can I just say, though, I that scene actually made me worry about Hugh Jackman. How so? Um, he, if, he is huge right now, and I to, to be doing what he's doing and consistently and to build up, that is not a sustainable way to treat your body. 
Like that body is, um, talk about body issues and things like that. Um, he has bulked up an awful lot. He's bulked up a lot and he's maintained it. Um, so the, the story goes that um, originally uh, when Aaron Aronofsky wanted to do the Wolverine, he called up Wolverine and said, or he didn't call Wolverine. up Wolverine. <laughs> he called up Hugh Jackman and said, um, I want you in the same shape you were in in X-Men Origins plus 10 more pounds of muscle. And Hugh Jackman was like, oh my God, I can't do that. Um, and he got close to it, but Aronofsky was, uh, was switched off that movie at that point. He moved on to something else. But then Brian Singer called him at the end of Wolverine and Hugh Jackman was about to like eat some pancakes and fried chicken. And Brian Singer was like, um, I want you to stay in Wolverine shape. We're doing Days of Future Past. You're in it. You're one of the leads, and Hugh Jackman's like, ah, beep. Um, so he's he's sustained this body for a very long time, and, and it's so difficult. I guess I just I saw it, and I was like a little worried, but I'm not going to throw out conjectures. That's all. Um, well, but I, he I, looks great, no, no doubt. Looks- I just I just think that that kind of um, that is not a sustainable physique for anybody. So well. I think there's I know we got to get to the crossover, but there's one more thing I think we haven't really touched base on. And that is the future cast, um, which is our original cast. Um, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, um, Halle Berry um, and the uh, and Ellen Page returning as Kitty Pride, as well as Sean Ashmore, Iceman, who goes full on Iceman here. Um, and then we've got some of the newcomers. Um, we've well, and Colossus is returning as well. We have Blink played by a new actress. We have Bishop here. Uh, there's uh, the the future scenes. The things that I love about these these scenes is um, they are. There's a lot of show, not tell. We see we've never seen Bishop before, but we see how his power works. Mm-hmm. We see how Blink's power works, and I think here's a here's a. An instance where um, Brian Singer is taking page out of Joss Whedon's book where he's looking to see how um, the Avengers came together in the Avengers and used their powers together, whether it's Iron Man shooting against uh, Captain America's sword and that dispersing his lasers across all the all the enemies. We see the same kind of thing here where Blink is creating these portals and Bishop is shooting through them or we have um, a Storm creating a storm to slow the opponents which is the only things these films ever let storm do or um, kitty pride running through matter with yeah, other characters yeah. with bishop with other characters um so i would have liked to have seen a little bit more from kitty pride and um and storm but the way these characters come together the way they do the battles and the way they show some restraint this isn't like iron man 3 where you have hundreds and hundreds of like iron man drones coming at you it's a little bit more into battle we've got one or two sentinels in the beginning and those are more kind of um these nimrod type of sentinels and then we've got you know there's more sentinels at the end but it's um restraint it is more of an intimate battle it's a very cool fun battle um and it was so great to see patrick stewart again ian mckellen again some of the original cast um gosh i love those future scenes a lot me too um, I would also like to say once again, I do think that James McAvoy 
and Michael Fassbender should go around and do similar buddy shots <laughs> to Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. That would be a lot of fun. Come Absolutely. on, guys. Absolutely. Show it to us. Um, but I think that that's... I a- don't want your future. um but i think i think that that um just talking about that teamwork leads very nicely right into our crossover chamber today so would you like to to do the honors mr ollie without any further ado it's time to venture into the infinite crossover chamber previously on x-men and adventures No sound effect? Well, that was the sound effect. That was kind of a a sound effect. Okay. Okay, I'll I'll do another one. Do 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 do. Okay, that's better. That was a throwback to X Men, the animated series. I I got it. Excellent work, sir. Oh, excellent work. All right. So today in the crossover chamber, we have X Men versus the Avengers. Um, and the question is, which... Um, and are we specifically just talking about the reboots or just overall franchises, Ollie? I think overall franchises. Okay. We we want to talk about the films. I think we might bring in from a little bit here and there, but I think we're talking about what's the superior film franchise here. Okay. Um, so, so, I mean, on you, you've got X-Men. They've got a lot of films under their belts at this point. Seven films. Seven films. Um, you've got a lot of ensemble films. Um, you've got a couple of spinoffs with the Wolverine. Um, yep. And then facing facing X-Men is the Avengers. Um, and the Avengers has just the one ensemble film with, um, with a lot of spinoffs and specific character development or specific focus on characters with Captain America, Iron Man, um, and Incredible Hulk, Incredible Hulk, Thor, Thor. So they, they, it's almost like they, they have a little bit of opposing, um, you know, one is focusing more on characters so far anyway, and the other one has had more ensemble films. Well, and it's it's a very different setup too, where the um, X Men franchise began in 2000 with an ensemble piece, kind of worked its way to an um, individual spinoff with Wolverine. The Marvel films, um, and these are all from Marvel Studios and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, we had Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man Two, Thor, Captain America, then Avengers. Avengers, then sequels to those individual films, and now we're waiting for Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers Age of Ultron. So um, more films on the Marvel side, on the Marvel Studios side, and the Avengers series. Less films on the X-Men side. But, you know, one of the things here, Conrad, is we wouldn't have any of these films if it wasn't for the original X-Men film. Blade... And uh, which was in the late 90s. And then X-Men, which came out in 2000, followed by Spider-Man. These three films were the ones that made um, not only the Marvel franchises possible, but also what we have to thank for this, uh, the beginning of this uh, age of superhero uh, genre films. Well, right. And I, and I actually do think you have to thank Brian Singer for some of this. Um, I think some of the struggles that people have had with comic book storylines and and making a viable film is that you're dealing you're dealing with a lot of material that is beloved by the fan base. 
Um, so you have to really just walk a line because you want to give the fans what they want, but you also have to give some exposition and make it accessible for the general audience in order to have a successful film because you want them to continue. Um, and there's also just in terms of the types of effects and things that you could do, especially with X-Men and the sorts of powers that they had. Um, I think that with, with the technology at the time, I think Brian Singer did an incredible job. I think he did, um, even though I will now say Days of Future Past, I think is is probably my favorite out of them. I do, as I as we all know, when I first saw <laughs> X Men, I was very skeptical about what they were going to do with it. I wasn't sure. I was very excited to see it, but I was just not sure if they were going to be successful. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of fans had issue with with some of the things that they did, and fans will always have issue. Of course. And that's, and that's the thing that you run into is that you, you know you have people who love these characters and love these storylines and they want it to be exactly like the comic books. And unfortunately, just because of the nature of the medium, you just can't have it that way. By the way, Conrad, you were talking about Hugh Jackman earlier. I recently rewatched X-Men 1. If you look at it, Hugh Jackman looks Hugh Jackman looks like a small I know. puny man. It's, it's like, That's why who I'm is saying, this boy? This is Who's- why I'm saying it's a little bit concerning because, I mean, that level of muscle... And to get there for somebody of his build, like he's a big guy, but he's not like, or was not a like bulky guy. Yeah. Um. So to understand what it takes physically to get there. And I don't know if they, I mean, my guess is that they didn't, but uh, I guess is he, he just trained the heck out of himself, but it's just, it's probably not healthy in the long run. So I hope, yeah. I hope he's taking care of himself in any I case. Hope, I hope so too. But you but were talking. Case, yes. Um, like, I think that, that that was a challenge. Brian Singer brought it. He made that film. And that film, I think, really showed, um, it showed film studios. It showed other writers, other directors. Oh, my gosh, we can do this. Yeah. And really showed them what how rabid the fan base is and how dedicated the fan base is. Because, you know, as you and I have talked about, there's a lot of films that come out... Um, you know, from Marvel um, and um, other franchises that um, we'll still see. Even if we know they're bad, fans will still go see them because they also want to rip them apart. So they're money-making. They have a built-in fan base. They have the potential of having an even bigger fan base. And and let's not even talk about merch, but, I mean, it's it's a huge huge money-making endeavor and it's it's typically successful well so. and both of these franchises have really been pioneers so you had we've been talking about x-men and the role it played in launching the, the superhero genre we also know that x-men and super and spider-man led to hollywood coming into comic-con and the explosion mm-hmm. of san diego comic-con that happened after that so both uh, x-men ha- the history of superhero films for Marvel will be traced back to these three, Blade, Spider-Man, and X-Men. Now, let's look at the other end here with Marvel Studios, the um, serendipitous events that started with Iron Man and a cameo at the end with Nick Fury, um, which led to the Avengers and which, uh, you know, Marvel Studios being formed and them magically having the rights to the original Avenger characters. There was a lot of serendipity there. However, there was also 
a lot, a lot of coordination and planning. Um, Kevin, um, I always, I don't know how to misspell his last name. Kevin Fay, Fage, um, one of the producers here, and um, Avi Ard, um, I believe. I'm probably mispronouncing stuff here. Again, Cassandra complains to info at Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, but um, don't these send indi- complaints. Or compliments or um, just uh, nice email salutations. Um, These individuals, the producers here, have done really a phenomenal job of planning out very clear, consistent um, continuity between these movies that build on each other with a few exceptions like Incredible Hulk being recast and things like that. Um, However, these movies are very tightly woven together and we're now at a place where, you know, X-Men has done seven movies over the course of uh, 14 years and now um, in a course of I think four or five about six years we have had um, we're almost here at Avengers 2 you know Um, Marvel Studios is really producing um, film after film after film and if you look at the average earnings of these two franchises the X-Men movies haul in about 212 million per picture. This isn't including Days of Future Past numbers because it just came out. So 212 for X-Men versus 290 for the Marvel Cinematic movies. So um, Marvel has done more, has more tightly woven continuity, um, and has sort of set the record or set the, the standard for what a superhero film franchise can be. Okay. I, I, I hear you. Um, but in terms of the, the, I also feel though that if we're, if we're talking about X-Men versus, um, versus Avengers, one of the things that I think, um, I think that there have been successful Avengers films about specific characters. This last one, um, the, the Winter Soldier, um, Captain America film, I think was much more successful than the first film um, that Captain America was featured in. Um, but I, I, I mean, but with these hits, I feel like they've also had a lot of misses in terms of the characters. So are you also thinking about all the Hulk reboots or are you only considering the one related to the most recent Avengers film? Well, I mean, look, I mean, that's the natural next step here, right? Is okay. So both franchises, both franchises have been successful financially, but if you think about which franchise I love more, I mean, I really love the X-Men franchise and I love those characters. I think if you look at days of future past, there's no clear villain here. There are, really interesting characters you understand their motivations you can empathize with all of them but if we look at the marvel cinematic universe besides loki there really isn't a villain that's memorable at all and there's some i also feel like a lot of their characters aren't they just aren't developed enough um within some of these films and i mean i agree with you i think marvel marvel as a total franchise I, I think is in my mind kind of kicking DC's butt in terms of the films. Oh, of course, of um, course. But if we're just pitting these two these specific franchises against each other, um, I feel like overall, even even with uh, X Men Last Stand, which was an abomination, um, I feel <laughs> it was oh, abomination that made a ton of money. 
it maybe, but it was still awful. Yeah, uh, it was an embarrassing thing to watch. Um, so I just uh, like even even taking that and and I was not personally a fan of the Wolverine um, films. Um, did you enjoy them? You know, I thought um, Origins was horrible um, and the Wolverine approached something that was interesting, but it wasn't very fun. Right. Um, and uh, not, Silver not compared Sabra, to what not. not compared to like what you want with that particular character, too. No, um, no. And I know. So they've had they've had missteps, too. But to me, their missteps haven't been quite as egregious as some of the Avenger missteps. Well, I think it comes down to Marvel Studios making um, Avenger films that are fun and entertaining. But when it comes to a universe that I really um, am just uh, I'm really interested in the characters and I'm invested in them. I I think there's interesting idea. I think there's a lot of psychological meat to chew on. Um, I got to go X-Men here. And I know. You know, Avengers, we're also factoring in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here. This franchise is really expanding and all of that. And I know it's capturing a lot of people's hearts and minds. Um, For me, at the end of the day, I I vote X-Men. Yeah, I do, too. And I think but you know what? I think some of that is also content. Um, It's it's somewhat of the content of the original stories. I mean, the reason why I think you so, see so many character-specific films with Avengers is also because they tend to, you know, they come together as a team here and there. I mean, they are the event, they are the Avengers, but X Men are always kind of together. If that makes sense, like they have to wrangle yeah. people in. But the interesting thing about those comics is them working as a team and seeing how those powers complement each other. It, it's as you said, like just with the the opening scene in Days of Future Past, it was it was awesome the way they were having them work together, and and that is exactly what people loved about those comic books, or at least it's one of the things I loved. Well, I, I will say that it would be so cool to see an X Men versus Avengers movie. <laughs> I mean, this has been done in the comics; it's been done multiple times. I think in the '60s and the '80s, and just a few years ago again, and even very recently, James McAvoy was uh, talking some smack um, about how he would love to see an X Men Avengers movie and how he wouldn't want them to be on the same side. He would he wants to see them fight. And Hugh Jackman joined in. We'll put this in the show notes um, and said, "Yeah, I want to see him take on." each other i think that would be really interesting um if fox didn't if the fox owning x-men and marvel studios owning the avengers characters if that wasn't an issue oh man how awesome would that movie be it's almost like you were like can you guys just come to some sort of agreement i mean see see what's happening with quicksilver there you know (laughs) i thought it would have been kind of awesome if they had cast the same actor actually Oh, it would have been Wouldn't so that awesome. Wouldn't have been cool. I mean, but uh, that's stuff with Hollywood lawyers and rights. Oh, and I understand. Stuff. It's just oh. one of those things that, as a fan, you have to think about. And there's um, speaking of fans, there's some awesome fan trailers mashing up Avengers and X Men films, and uh, you know, I think we might see it one day. Um, maybe um that would day won't be anytime soon but oh gosh that would be so cool yeah. i want to see i want to see wolverine fight iron man and <laughs> so badly and i want to see cyclops go against captain america um oh, so cool yeah so i mean so so okay 
So with our crossover, I think you and I are ending up on the same t- side today, which is not surprising. Um, yeah, I think we're, bo- we're both. Uh, I mean, we are. We're both we, pro mutant. Um, we, we are fan people yeah. of the X Men. But let us know, uh, dear listeners, what you think about this. Who is the better franchise, Avengers or X Men? I will. We didn't mention this, but I also think when it comes to diversity, the the X Men win here. Yeah, I think we have. Too. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm slipping that in under the wire. Just as an aside, and and this is, you know, I didn't get into it during our review of the film because it's a bigger issue. Um, I I have felt though with the with the X Men franchise, they never have done what they should do with Storm. She was not cast well. They never use her to the advantage that they should. Just just it, throwing that out there. You're, you know, I'm going to pick up what you're putting down there and I'm going to say um, you're absolutely right. And a similar thing has been done with Cyclops. I think he's been cast well, but misused. Right. Uh, I mean, so. I, I think Halle Berry probably could have picked. I know people had a huge issue with her, um, but I don't know, think it was necessarily her. I think it was part of what they were having her role be, yeah. um, which is just like, hey, let's make your eyes go away. And you just have some fogs flip i'm gonna you. create cover for all of you yeah <laughs> so you can land that's about it over and over um, um but, so, but you know like I, though i will say i always pictured storm as being this sort of amazon but you know i'm fond of amazon so there's that uh, that's that's true die prince <laughs> um so let's exit the infinite crossover chamber let's go bub nice nice <laughs> So um, that's one of my favorites. It's making a, a by popular demand. I brought that one back. So um, we're talking top five fixing the future films in keeping with the theme of Days of Future Past movies that involve time travel and some type of repairing a timeline. Um, this was a, um, a no brainer for me. Um, I had no problem coming up with my top five uh, for once. Um, this is my favorite genre of science fiction. I love time travel films and how they're able to visit characters at different points and explore different um, eras and um, explore cause and effect. So my top five are pretty easy. Um, what was it like for you, Conrad? Um, I had no problem coming up with films. I had problems narrowing down because there's so many that I love. But yeah, no problem coming up with some. Cool. Let's let's dive into it. Um, what's your number five? Um, my number five, and and you know, I'll, I'll I'll say that I I had to bring up a couple that I brought up in the past just because these are to me these are some of the ones that just immediately leap to mind when you think about fixing the future. Um, so number five is Terminator. Um, specifically Terminator 2, but you could say the Terminator franchise as well, which I know I've done before. Um, This was, you know, the use of time travel in these films is is just, you know, um, at the time that they did it, the way that they did it, um, making making, uh, villains heroes in T2 um, and just trying to explain why certain things happen. Um, just always makes you think and try to figure out the paradox. So um, had to be Terminator. Good pick. Um, it's you know I'm a big fan. It was on the top of my, my list of top five uh, blockbuster films. Um, I will say, uh, Days of Future Past, the comic, it predates Terminator. By uh, it does. I'm just saying in terms of films that we're talking. Oh yeah. About. No, no. I know. I know. I'm just putting it out there for anyone who might be thinking that Days of Future Past is a copy. Not so, fellow nerdlings. Um, 
Days of Future Past was before. Uh, good pick. Mine number five is a more recent film, um, and it is uh, Source Code. Source Code, it's, and it's not a perfect film. Um, it's um, from 2011, and this is by Duncan Jones, who made the amazing film Moon, which I was a big fan of. What I like about Source Code, starring um, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, it, it's, it explores time travel from a little bit of a different perspective as we've seen it in other uh, time travel films. And it does take some more uh, modern theories about um, uh, the multiverse and parallel universes and kind of factors that into the story versus other time travel films which explore time travel from more of a linear perspective. So I, I thought that was really interesting how that happens. Um, again, not a perfect film, but I really liked the unique way to explore time travel. Hmm. Um. What was your number four? Uh, my number four is uh, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Hmm. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Um, 1986 film, um, which really concludes the Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage Home trilogy, which was never meant to be a trilogy, but sort of became one. Um, little known fact, um, directed by Leonard Nimoy. Um, this is the film. This is, as uh, fans know it, uh, the film with the whales. The premise here is an alien probe approaches Earth. Everybody Earth loves the one with the whales. All right, how can you not love this film? Like, it was basically made to be on a budget, and it was set in 1986 San Francisco. Um, the crew of the Enterprise have to go back in time and uh, capture a couple of humpback whales um, and uh, save the future and all of that. Hilarity ensues. Um, lots of great moments uh, that happen in this film. Um, there's so many that I could just start quoting right now. But this is one of those films where if it's on, I watch it. If I'm feeling down, I watch it. It's got one of my favorite lines, which is, Hello, computer! Um, freaking love that line. Uh, just a, such a funny Star Trek film. And, um, you know, there's there's no villain here. The villain here is uh, whale hunting, I guess. Um, uh, it's it's a really in many ways, a very authentic original series story for Star Trek. Cool. What's your number five? Uh, four. I mean, four, four. Um, my number four is actually Star Trek First Contact, <laughs> um, which I actually thought you were going to pick. Um, I I did. Uh, it's it's my number two. Oh, you put two <laughs> Star Trek in, my friend. Hey, there's three Star Trek films with time travel. You're lucky I only picked two, Conrad. <sighs> All right, anyway. go for it. What, why do you like First Contact? Well, since it's higher up on your list, I would like. No, to- no, no. You've done that to me before. You've been a very gracious person. You go for it. What do you like about it? Um, I like a lot about because you get to see. Um, um, well, there's a lot of good things I like about First Contact, but um, basically our intrepid heroes um, go back and they are supposed to fix. Um, basically, they have found out that their timeline has been corrupted um, by Borg um, and they have to go back and make sure that Borg sounds Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could do this all night. I'll stop right now. Um, so basically they have to, to go back in, in time and, um, and make sure that, um, 
first contact with the Vulcans on Earth is not disturbed, which is what the Borg have done. So they, they've basically changed the timeline and the crew have to, to change it back. Um, and have you ever heard the phrase, never meet your heroes? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so part, part, um, spoiler alert, part of the main part of the plot um, is that Zephram Cochran, who is the person that created the or, or did the first um, warp drive flight that attracted the Vulcans, because because basically Earth's technology um, warranted first contact after this happened, um, after his flight. Um, and so they're all excited to go meet him because he's this like huge figure in their history. And he <laughs> everyone's turns- school is named after him. Yeah, and, like know, there's he, a big he, statue of him. It's it's like meeting meeting. Um, exactly, it's meeting it's meeting just a legend. Yeah, it's like um, meeting Einstein. Yeah, and um, so basically they go back and they just can't even believe it because. Um, uh, Zephram Cochran is a bit of a jerk and kind of a <laughs> yeah. drunk, yeah, totally. um, and and just not fun to deal with at all. And and they can't even believe it's him. But anyway, that's sort of a somewhat of a humorous aside. Um, and I just really love this film. It was to me, it was very exciting to watch. Um, it, you know, the Borg Queen in this is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's there's just so many wonderful things about it that I really enjoyed watching. Um, and, you know, and then there's also like interesting stuff with data going on. It's just a really exciting film that a lot of things happen with the characters. Um, well, there's not much more I can add, uh, to what you said. Um, what I will say is, uh, this is the best next generation film. Um, it was a first next generation film that was, um, unshackled from the, um, everything from the TV show. So new enterprise, new uniforms, new look, new feel. It had its own original score, um, a beautiful score by Jerry Goldsmith. Um, so it was, it was very fresh. Um, it was very unique to the next generation cast um the, the reason why this film um is so meaningful to me is it gets at the existential ideas of star trek it this is the film where uh, this is the story where our present um sort of uh deviates and becomes uh star trek the optimistic view of the future it's all about those big ideas of um what makes star trek so unique and all of that gets explored here. Um, and on top of that, it's a fun time travel movie. On top of that, great action. There's a, there's some really great set pieces. On top of that, great villains, um, great one-liners, um, a lot of fun and humor. Um, it's it's one of the best Star Trek movies. It's it's really great. Cool. All right. Um, so that was your four. That was my two. Let's head into threes. Um, my number three is Looper. That was on my honorable mentions. Ah, great. Um, Looper is a 2012 film. Um, it's a film I think a lot of people haven't seen. Um, it's by Ryan Johnson, was a director and the writer here, starting Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. I think if you saw the trailer, the trailer actually made it look kind of cheesy and silly. Um, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt has this like nose piece on and all this makeup 
to make him look more like Bruce Willis. Or I don't know if he has a nose piece or if it's done in if CGI and in, in, um, uh, post processing stuff. Um, but anyways, um, the movie didn't look good. Um, I saw it and I loved it. Um, it gets at some really interesting ideas related to time travel. And um, I don't I really don't want to say too much about the plot at all um, because I think it would spoil it. But basically, um, well, I guess I already spoiled this part. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a young um, character. Bruce Willis plays the same character from the future. They're both named Joe. And the story kind of uh, starts with what happens when the two of them meet in um in the past and it takes off from there um it's it's a cool sci-fi story um i like how they painted this dystopian future there's some kind of interesting touches here where because of climate change i think they're in some type of area near kansas but they're growing sugar canes so there's a lot of small little touches like that it's, it's a very small small smart sci-fi film cool what's your number three uh, my number three was uh, Run, Lola, Run. Oh, I haven't seen it. What? Okay, no. well, then I don't want to, I definitely don't want to spoil it for you. Um, but this is um, definitely a time travel film. And while you're watching it, you're trying to figure out how it will all end up. Um, and it basically, um, I will give a basic plot summary, but um, the main character is played uh by Franca uh is I think it's Potente. She's also in the um the Born Identity. Films. Oh cool. Um but um it's a German film, so it is subtitled. Um and basically Well, I'm not going to watch it now. No, but some uh, people discounted no, it for that reason, but anyway, she basically gets a call that her boyfriend is in danger and she has a very short time to save him. And so there's several different things that happen within this film before the ending. Um, and you don't necessarily know if it's going to be a happy one. Interesting. So, um, and there's a bit of a resetting here and there at the end of every, like, thing. Like, she has the ability to reset and, and start again to try to get a different outcome. So, so it is, it is good. It's a little bit stressful to watch. But I remember watching it and thinking, wow, good job. Sounds a little Groundhog's Day. Sounds a little uh, like Source Code. The the resetting yeah, element. A little bit. A little bit. Well, I'm a big fan for mind numbing time travel stuff. <laughs> the more it confuses me and makes me pause and visually create a timeline map in my head, the more I'm probably going to like it. Um, well, you already gave away my number two, um, which I'm not angry about, but quite happy about because Star Trek First Contact does deserve to be on both lists. Um, so what is your number two today, Conrad? Uh, my number two is Donnie Darko. Oh, totally forgot about Donnie Darko. Good pick. Yeah. Um, so this is a film that stars Jake uh, Gyllenhaal and also Maggie Gyllenhaal is in it as well. Um, and it's, it's really, um, it can be confusing if you watch the director's cut and the commentary, they explain everything that is, um, questionable when you watch, um, the theatrical release. But, um, basically the main character, something has happened, an incident has happened and he's kind of trapped in a parallel universe. 
Um, and he's trying to figure out a, a way to very change. creepy parallel. Universe. It is extraordinarily creepy. Um, there is a terrifying rabbit. Um, <laughs> I was so confused by that. Yeah. Um, and, and it can, it's confusing. The soundtrack is amazing. It's a movie that made me think very long after I saw it. So, yeah. so that is why I picked it. Um, and again, the soundtrack to me is incredible. Yeah. Um, and it also has a great cast of characters. Uh, good pick. Um, my number two was Star Trek First Contact. Um, so let's go into number one. Um, I think we're going to have a mind melt here. I know I did this a few episodes ago, but let's reveal our number one at the same time. Let's let's count oh, down. Oh, this is dangerous. Okay. Three, two, one. Back to, Back the, to future. the future. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Mind meld. How can you not have that on this list? You know, exactly, like, exactly. Um, now, I, now I will say, I, I think I am much more partial to the first of the series. Um, if we're talking about the whole thing, I but, am talking about uh, Numero Uno. Me too. Eighty fives. Robert Zemeckis. Um, no future. No Wild West. Okay, good. Um, original nostalgic glory. Back to the future. Well, then we are definitely on the same page. Yes, we are, Conrad. Yes, we are. Um, but yeah. Let us count the ways this movie is awesome. Well, it's amazing. Um, it it was it was a lot of fun. I remember it when it was released. Um. It it spurred a lot of other interesting things. Um, you know, it it was just um and some awkward moments within the film itself. Um it, there were some line. It, there are just some iconic moments within the film with Michael J. Fox. Um it just I am Vader, Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Right. Uh Crispin Glover, <laughs> amazing, um, Leah Thompson. Um, just, just a really clever little script, fun. Um, it also had some moments of intrigue and and some scandal as well. Um, it was just a really fun film, and it also was very fast moving. It's it's a it's such a gem of a sci fi film. Um, it, it it was really brilliant in how it worked both for. Um, um, young people as well as um, uh, their parents. And it had that nostalgic element that that tapped into the nostalgia we talked about from, uh, I believe, episode two or three about um, Ready Player One and, and all of that stuff. It was tapping into that for the parents, but it was um, the humor and all of that was working for, for kids too. And they, those, uh, they could really identify with Michael J. Fox and that character. So that was really interesting and in one of the ways in which it became such a commercial success. But it, it what I like about it is um, is is many things the uh, the sci-fi element, but it's this stealthy sci-fi where mm-hmm. it's not really about all the technology and the techno babble, but it's about these ideas. Um, it's about family. It's about relationships. And you know, if you do start thinking about the about it, it kind of breaks apart. Like, okay, so why is a picture fading and all yeah. of that kind of stuff? Don't worry about that too much. En- enjoy it. The only thing I don't like about this movie is the the stereotype of the Libyans and the terrorists and all of that. Yeah, that's not it's, fun. And actually, um, it was on it was on a few a few days ago. Um, and you know, it always bothered me, but it just sticks out so much more now. Like there are things about it that you just think 
they that never would have happened. Yeah, it's very 1980s yeah. stereotypes. Um, but, uh, you but know, yeah, I get but, it. It's it's tough. That is you know, that is um, there's this is one of the films where it happens with. And there's some others that I have seen recently where I've been honestly appalled yeah. at, at some of the references. And, and this is one where I hadn't I guess I hadn't seen it in a very long time. And so when they started talking about that part of the storyline, I I actually got really upset because <laughs> um, yeah. I was just when they got to that part of the storyline, I guess I had just I had forgotten that that was the the catalyst for him going back. Yeah, um, that it was these terrorists. And it's it's really upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, that's really my only uh, complain about the film. Other than that, I think that the score to this film, amazing. I do love the second film as well. I think it's, um, it starts to break down a little bit, but I think it's interesting how they play on the ideas of the first one. Not a huge fan of the third one, although there's a few nice scenes to it. Um, but the first one is the one that is just yeah. um, class. And, and DeLorean, of course, DeLorean. Awesome. Um, uh, DeLorean. And then there's also, you know, some of the, the fun things about it were also that, you know, um, Marty McFly has to go back in time and, and just how how those people would see him and how he would contend yeah. with people of the past was it was a fascinating little little experiment. So well, and the stereotypes bad. Um at the same time, it's interesting to watch the film now and to see how some of the elements of the fashion are back. And, you know, they make fun of his life preserver or mm-hmm. whatever. It that's is, what I was thinking, vest. actually. Right. And that's back in style now. And so much of 80s is back in either for nostalgia or for some of these cyclical patterns of, of fashion. Um, so it's, you know, the film works on different levels now. And um, I know I mentioned this in many episodes, but I work with a lot of teenagers in so many people continue so many young people continue to love this film and it's um it's one of those just cl- sci-fi time travel classics that is not burdened down by a lot of the stereotypes of the genre mm-hmm. it exists um outside the sci-fi genre as a classic film just in itself it, true and it also i think because it is so much fun and it does have that ability uh, to entertain people at you know across different generations um people let let it get by, get away with some stuff that other sci-fi films have not so oh, totally totally um but yeah that is it definitely to me it's it is the first film that i thought of in terms of of uh um future travel fixing things that and the terminator interesting right let's let's do um honorable mentions uh do you have anything well i had looper um i also had groundhog day um nice yep which you know it was a struggle for me not to put that in but i just felt like you know it just in terms of of time travel it is a fixing the future movie but just in a different way um more of a time loop i guess i was a little surprised it wasn't on your list i want to be it was just hard to narrow it down yeah. Um, okay. ha- Happy Accidents, which was a little independent film with um, Vincent D'Onofrio and Marissa Tomei, um, which is a lot of fun um, and has a- also a few 80s references with Anthony Michael Hall featured in it. Cool. I highly recommend it. And it's on Netflix, I think. Um, 
Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> Somewhere in Time, which is a classic. Christopher Reeve is in it. Um, time Cop. And um, my last one is an in, in odd little flick. It's actually um, um, in a 2006 film. Um, it was based on a book that was um, uh, like uh, a Japanese book, but then they made it into an animated feature um, and changed the storyline a little bit. It's called The Girl Who Left Through Time. Have you ever seen it? No, I have not. Um, it's pretty good. Don't want to wreck the plot, but it's worth it. I think that's been on Netflix as well, or you could find it on Amazon prime but it's 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 a fun little film um and i recommend people check it out you know i think we're gonna have to talk more time travel in a future episode because we both can say so much about this um i unlike other super fantastic nerd hour uh co-hosts limited myself just to one um (gasps) all right well (laughs) Well, come on because here's i I could talk for hours about this so i had to limit myself um um, safety not guaranteed um this is a really cool small film that is um a little different than some of the other uh time travel movies it's it's basically a a little bit of a comedy about this group of people responding to an ad uh, a craigslist ad about um uh, seeking companions to join this person on a time travel voyage oh you know what i have heard of this i have not seen it conrad you gotta check this out i'll I'll check out um, I'll check out Run Lolo Run. You check out Safety Not Guaranteed, okay. and we'll report back to each other. It's on Netflix, 2012 film. It's it's streaming. Um, really fun little indie kind of sci-fi film. Um, it's it's a gem. I really enjoy it. Um, beyond that, I, I like everything else on on your list, um, and I could talk about all those movies for a very long time. Um, so uh, before we get to our uh, shout outs, I do want to give a couple of um, nods uh, to other podcasts I was on this past week. So um, if you're interested to learn more about my take on X-Men Days of Future Past, you can check out almost a two hour review of this film um, on our friends of the show out now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, check out episode 152 for our Days of Future Past discussion. They were really a nice bunch and we had a a lot of fun talking about x-men doing some x-men trivia talking about where we would go back in time um uh, it was it was a lot of fun you can also check out um the San Diego Concast live, um, the episode from May 29th, where I joined the unofficial San Diego Comic Con uh, blog group, and we talked about the psychology of San Diego Comic Con. So please check those out and support our um, the awesome friends of the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. Woot. So Conrad. Where can you be found um, on this wibbly-wobbly point of the timeline this week on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, I am Die Prince, and you can also find me on my Undead podcast, Reanimated, uh, that I host with my friend Stuart Tiffin. Um, we talk about undead things, and that is reanimatedpodcast.com, and on Twitter, we're reanimatedpcast. Do you guys talk about dead things, too, on yeah, that podcast? Yeah, that too. Sometimes dead things. But okay. mostly undead things. Okay. Just want to make sure because I'm uh, just, you know, I, I, I want to make sure there's equal coverage of dead stuff as well. 
Well, you know, to be undead, you event- you should be dead first, right? Sometimes. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Um, and I am, uh, in addition to uh, finding us at Nerd Hour on Twitter, as well as info at superfantasticnerdhour.com or superfantasticnerdhour.com on the web, um, you can find me at brainknowsbetter.com, uh, where I talk about the psychology of science fiction, as well as on Twitter at Ali Matu. Conrad, it has been... Such a pleasure talking time travel with you today. It has. Uh, I think next time we should go see a film together, though. Oh, I think we might have to do that and then like immediately debrief so we don't have to hold on to it for so long because hmm. it's it's hard. We may have <laughs> to figure out a way to to watch a film and then immediately record our show. Oh, that would be fun. Um, just because I think that we'd want all those ideas to be on our review, right? Yeah, totally. It would be so much fun. But this has been Uh, awesome. Thanks so much for for chatting today. Thanks, guys. Um, And until next time, live long and prosper. Indeed.